This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. I am so glad you are listening and would really appreciate your rating this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you to those of you who have rated it already. I am very grateful to you. If you like this podcast, you may also like my Conversations from a Page Literary Salon. To check it out, go to www.cfapage.net. And if you have personalized book questions, I can be reached at cindyhburnett at att.net. I partner with Murder by the Book for this podcast, and The Quiet Girl can be purchased there. The link is in my show notes. Today, I am interviewing S.F. Kosa. S.F. is a clinical psychologist with a fascination for the seedy underbelly of the human psyche. Though The Quiet Girl is her debut psychological suspense novel, writing as Sarah Fine, she's the author of over two dozen fantasy, urban fantasy, sci-fi, and romance novels, several of which have been translated into multiple languages. She lives in Massachusetts with her husband and their blended brood of five young humans. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed interviewing her. Hey, Sarah. I'm so glad you're here to talk with me today about The Quiet Girl. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Tell me about the name you're writing under, S.F. Kosa, just so that readers will understand the difference in, in your name, Sarah, and the alias that you write under. Sure, absolutely. So I actually write under another name, Sarah Fine, which until a few years ago was my name. However, in 2018, I got married. And so now my last name is Kosa. It's actually Sarah Fine Kosa. And when I decided to move from writing young adult novels and fantasy novels into writing sort of contemporary domestic thriller, psychological suspense novels, I decided I needed a pen name and SF Kosa, which is also my name, but seemed like a good pseudonym. I think that authors do that a lot when they're really switching genres that are yeah. going to be vastly different because then that way the, re- the readers that are reading the Sarah Fine books aren't thinking this is going to be the same thing they've already been reading. Yeah, and this is very different than most other, or nearly all other things that I've written to this point. It's a departure, so that's why the name switch seemed apt. Makes perfect sense. Well, why don't you tell me about The Quiet Girl? Sure. So The Quiet Girl is a psychological suspense novel. It's about Alex, who is madly in love with his romance author wife, who spins fantasies for a living, but they get into a fight over when they're going to start a family, they're newly married, and uh, she disappears. And so he has to start to wonder if parts of his life are a fantasy. So how did you come up with the subject matter for this book? Yeah, so I, I came up with the idea. I was actually on the Cape. The book is set on the Cape. And I hope that readers will feel like the Cape Cod and Provincetown in particular are very much also characters in this book. They're an important piece of that. And I was actually out there uh, in Truro, which is a town right next to Provincetown, sitting on the beach and sort of thinking about life and where I was in it. And I came up with this idea about like, what? This sounds really dark, but I came up with an idea about like, what if there was an author and she disappeared and then she left some clues as to where she went and something she wrote. And that actually evolved kind of like rocks in a rock tumbler. Those things sort of churn inside and and come up with, they 
they evolved into the idea for the plot. And so that was the base of it. However, I am a clinical psychologist by training. I do specialize in children, but you know, I've worked with people across the age range. So I sort of delved into that training as I came up with the plot for the book. And it involves a rare psychological disorder called dissociative fugue. And I think that psychological disorders are often plot points or the basis of uh, plots for books. That's actually not completely the case in this story, but I did use it as a jumping off point for the idea of what happens to people when they experience trauma, how does it shape them and their actions. And so that's the subject matter for the book. I wanted to make sure I was very respectful and true to life. So I didn't want to romanticize a disorder or the experience of somebody who has it. So while it is part of the, the plot, I wanted to be very realistic about the actions of the characters. Once I wrote the book, I did some research, but I also relied on my own knowledge. I had another psychologist read it and vet it. And I also had a physician read it and vet it in order to just get the feedback. Like there are therapy sessions in the book. There are, you know, the actions of various characters who experience these very intense things. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't unrealistic. And so I did get that back up in terms of having some outside expertise tell me like, is this realistic or not? So that's how I came up with the book and then made sure it was accurate. Um, are you practicing still? I did for a number of years, and currently I'm in the process of getting relicensed since I've moved into Massachusetts. And so I'm in the process of getting relicensed and will continue to practice. But yes, I practiced for a number of years until a few years ago when I moved. Because I guess that could be a tricky thing too, just to make sure you weren't somehow bringing anything in from any of your practice that, that a person would say, oh, this is me that you're writing about. So I actually worried about that a lot when I first started writing because I was a psychologist for a number of years before I became a writer and an author. And so I actually had like an FAQ on my website for a long time that said like, do you write about people who you've worked with? And the answer is really a resounding no, I would never do that. But there is a sort of aggregate experience as you work with people, as you think about the things that people go through and how tremendously resilient and creative and strong people are as they deal with difficult things. And, you know, my work is actually, as a clinical psychologist, is always focused on very young children and their parents. So you can see how if you read The Quiet Girl, it, it doesn't actually have anything to do with young children or, or their parents in terms of primary plot points. So there's not a direct correlation, but I get asked a lot of times, I've been asked many times, is your experience as a psychologist, do you use that or draw upon it as you're writing? And the answer is, I think, yes, but not in any sort of direct way. I think it informs the way I think about things, but I don't ever draw like from a specific case because that is really not something that you could or ever should do. 
No, absolutely. I guess I was just more thinking sometimes things just work their way into your mind. And so I'm sure you were just very aware of making sure you weren't doing that. And that was kind of an extra layer that you were having to add in as you were thinking about when you were writing. No, I definitely think like as a psychologist, I, I think a lot about human development. And so as I write like any child character, I certainly rely on my knowledge of how children speak and how they act and think and how parents interact with them. But at this point, I haven't really relied on that as a plot point or anything. Being a psychologist, it's definitely, you, you dwell in a little bit of people come to you and they have problems. And so I think my thought process certainly goes perhaps to a, a sort of a darker place, but also how do you get out of that place? Like how do people deal with those things? So that's how I think about my books. Well, that's true because that's that's your job as a psychologist is to help people get out of the dark place. So that would make sense that you would sort of then translate that into how you're handling your plot too. Absolutely. And also how creative and resilient people can be about getting out of their own dark places. Absolutely. So what kind of research did you have to do? You mentioned a little bit that you relied on some of your own stuff, but when you were doing research, what did you do? Well, I read a lot about dissociative. It used to be called psychogenic fugue, but I also read about a lot, several articles about dissociative fugue and and very case-specific information that I, I looked up. But apart from that, a lot of the book involves the main character, Alex, who is in the biotech industry. And so I actually, this was part of the personal part of the book, is that my husband is in the biotech industry. And so he provided a lot of critique for me in terms of that character, how he might think and what he might be experiencing. And in addition to that, I spent a lot of time in Provincetown and on the Cape, and I spent a day with, I believe, Provincetown's only police detective who drove me around and showed me places. So I talk about Beach Forest in the book. And she's the one who really told me, like, here's what happens here. Here's how we would think about this case. Here's how Provincetown police, like, here's what we deal with in the summer and all of those things. So it was a wonderful day. She was extremely generous with her time. And she really provided me with some information that I didn't have when I conceived of the idea that informed some of the plot points in the book. That's really interesting. And that is nice that she took the time to do that. And I'm sure kind of, like you said, gave you insight into things you might not have thought about at all. Absolutely. It's, it's really remarkable. As I think about every time I conceive of an idea in any particular place, I, every time I visit it, I realize how shallow my knowledge is and the essential part of research in-depth research. And there are certain authors like Jody Picoult who are masters of that, where they just research something so in-depth that it's like they're an absolute expert in that area. And I, I can't make any claim to that, but I think that kind of research is very important. Well, definitely, because it makes the book sound a lot more genuine and authentic when you are portraying it like it's supposed to be. What do you hope your readers take away from this book? I hope it leaves readers thinking there are a lot of twists. I've, you know, I've read a couple of things that people who've read the book have said. And the one thing that pleases me most is that they can't predict where it goes. So I I like the idea that it might've surprised people, but mostly I, I think I would like readers to think about the various effects of trauma and what I would think of as big trauma. So what we sometimes call trauma with a big T 
and especially chronic developmental trauma, how that can shape a person. And I'd love it if people could see how the mo- reactions of the characters are associated with what they've experienced and how people who have experienced trauma sometimes act in strange or unpredictable or even unpleasant ways, but it's really all about survival and adaptation and that that can look differently for somebody who's gone through something really difficult. And that's not revealed in the synopsis of the book, but at the heart of the book is really how someone deals with something really hard that happened to them. I think the beauty of books is teaching empathy, taking a reader to some place where they haven't been before, whether it's a new culture or a new religion or trauma that somebody experienced when they were young. So I do think that learning about those type of things educates and then a lot of times creates empathy. Yeah, it's funny. I thought a lot about the characters I was writing in the book, and there are at least a few scenes where I thought, this character is really not nice. Like, they're behaving in this way that most people would be like, why is she doing that? And then I thought, you know, I have to be true to this experience. I have to really be authentic in it. And to do that, I have to allow this character to really be unleashed in a way that might be unexpected for some people, or some people might perceive as really perhaps rash or aggressive, but in in a way, it's just a very, I think, natural or uh, understandable response to what she'd been through. What comes first for you, the plot or the characters? For me, I have to be honest, it is always the plot. I get really, so my background is in social science. For every case I deal with or every, you know, study I look at, for me, it's always about what explains this? How do I construct this in a way that is understandable? And so I often, when I read a book, I absolutely love this. This is why I love thrillers is because when I read a book, I want to know, I want to look at how it's constructed. And so I think when I write a book, to some extent, it is really about constructing a plot It obviously involves characters, and oftentimes the characters will surprise me. They'll behave in ways I'm like, oh, I can't go in this way because this particular character that I've written couldn't go that way in a a believable manner. So it it can often change, but it always for me starts with a plot, an idea, uh, a twist perhaps, and then I move forward with filling in characters, but then of course the characters take on a life of their own and sometimes dictate where I have to go from there. Well, that leads me to my next question. Do you plot it all out? Do you get an outline and get it all situated and then write? Or do you just have your plot idea, sit down and see where it takes you? I definitely do a lot of outlining. It's not an organized scene by scene. So what I do, and I've written many books at this point, so it's a pretty reliable process. Although I never know if something's going to evolve into a book or not until a certain point. But I take several pages of notes. I talk about the plot and the character and where it's going. And I'll just write and write and write on these notes and sort of say, here's what happens next. And then this happens and then this happens. So I write that sort of loose thing. I usually know what my midpoint climax is. I know what my dark night of the soul is. I know where I'm going. And then I start to write. And I'll usually outline a few chapters ahead. And things start to change a little bit. and. I have rarely experienced where there are major changes in the ending or major twists, but how I get there changes a lot from the time I outline to the time it gets written. So I have a lot of plans, but I'm open to them changing. 
Well, I think that makes sense that you have the framework, but as you start to fill in, then things can take you different directions. Be almost like building a house. You know, you start with the plan, and as you once you get into the little intricacies of it, you're like, wait a minute, maybe I want this wall here, or I want this room larger. It's the same idea, I think, with writing a book. Yeah, absolutely. Or I, you know, in my case, I talked to this police detective in Provincetown who was like, you know what? When I asked her one simple question, where if if a car were going to appear abandoned in a place with a wallet and keys inside, where would that be where it wouldn't be discovered for two days? That is the question I asked. A very specific question. She was like, I will tell you exactly where it would be. I will tell you exactly what would happen. I will tell you how the police would respond. And that actually changed like a couple of plot points and moved me into a completely different place because I just gathered information from somebody who really lives in this place and who could tell me a few things about what happens there. Yeah, that's so funny that she was ready with an answer immediately, didn't even have to think about it. No, and it wasn't what I expected either. So that that was really a wonderful experience. It's the first time. It's the first time I've written a book in the real world. I'm used to writing fantasies where I just make stuff up. <laughs> and I can build a world. I can build an afterlife. I can build, you know, I can build a portal where you would step through and there would be something completely different. I can write in the future and sort of predict things that I don't, you know, we won't know whether anything like that is going to happen for another hundred years. But in this case, I had to write contemporary. Here is something that is happening in 2020. And obviously there are things I couldn't have predicted. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) However, based on what I knew at the time, it is based in the real world. And that was a really different experience. Oh, that's interesting. So do you have a favorite of all of your books? Um, That is a really interesting question because each of my books for me represents some sort of emotional point in my life or something that I... To some extent, each book I've written is me. It's not about, obviously not about me. I haven't written characters based on me or anything like that. That would be really boring, but it has some sort of emotional resonance for me. So my first book, Sanctum, is probably the book that I think is the most emotionally resonant for a lot of people. And it's a young adult book and a fantasy. And it deals with some really dark topics like suicide and trauma. But I, I think for me, that book was the realization, like I could actually weave a, a whole world and write, you know, a book thing. So for me, that was a, a real turning point. The Quiet Girl is another turning point for me. I, you know, this, it's my 22nd novel. So I have written a lot of books in the last 10 years or so. But for me, like I said, it's set in the real world. I'm dealing with the constraints of the real world. I am dealing with adults who don't have magical powers because I've written a lot of urban fantasy and romance. It's not a romance. So it, it deals with a lot of new things for me and it's a really a new world. And it does, it's a new name. I'm writing under a new name, but it very much feels like a debut novel in that way, which is really exciting. Well, you may have already answered this question with what we've been talking about, but what surprised you the most about writing The Quiet Girl? Oh, goodness. I think in line with what I was saying about writing fantasy, I think it surprised me how much latitude I had in terms of creative options, just dealing with real world things. Because in the past, I've written a lot of books about 
people with powers, people who wield magic in various ways, people who are like traipsing around the afterlife, going on quests. You know, I've, I've written all sorts of those things. And that's really fantastical stuff. But for me, I think with The Quiet Girl, it was realizing that somebody's inner world can be just as vast as a magical outer world and just as deep and fascinating and definitely worthy of exploration in a way that I I hadn't quite dealt with before. I'd always done that plus magic. (laughs) But dealing in the real world is uh, just as mysterious and dangerous, just in a different way. Well, the complexities of the human mind, I mean, when you really start delving into that, it, it is amazing. Right. And when you don't have the sort of metaphorical power of magic, it kind of lays it bare in a way that is very vivid. No, I agree. Are you working on anything at the present or are you just enjoying having this book out there in the world? I am. I'm working on my next book, which is another psychological suspense that also involves some very psychological content. It's, it's about a fact checker who is pulled into a story with a journalist that she actually, it involves her past 20 years prior. And she actually is put in a position where she feels like she has to change facts on the story in order to cover up her involvement with cult massacre that happened 20 years prior. It's tentatively called The Night We Burned, and I am really looking forward to that. I'm working with my editor on it right now. That sounds fabulous. When does it come out? Hopefully next August. I'm not sure, but uh, like I said, we're in revision, so the book is written, and um, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, It's, you know, cults are really fascinating um, and intense psychological material, and like with The Quiet Girl, deals with something that you know, some people, when, when they're involved in this, I think from the outside, you can look at it from the outside, a cult, and you can say, that is crazy. But if you think about it from the perspective of somebody who might have been inside it, it creates a whole new level of empathy and understanding um, in terms of how this happens to a person. And it's, it's been an interesting ride to write that story and explore that. I have always been fascinated by cults and Jim Jones, all that happened when I was young. And I just, it's, it's hard to understand how that happens, but it is just such a fascinating concept. So I'm already super excited for your book. Oh, yay. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting uh, thing to explore. And I've definitely done a lot of research for that one, including watching a lot of documentaries, reading a lot of books. I was just going to say, I am sure that one is requiring a lot of research and some probably more disturbing than you'd prefer. Most definitely. But I did read an entire book about Jim Jones and his biography and Charles Manson as well. Yeah, crazy story, that Jim Jones stuff. I don't know why it just always captured me as a child. I think there was some black and white maybe documentary that came out when I was young and it was just constantly running on the TV and I just must have watched it probably 20 times. So I don't know, it's just somehow... in caught my attention. Yeah, there's something about the the sort of control of people who you would think when you look at them from the outside, they are completely able to make these decisions. I need to get out of this. This is bad. And so exploring this sort of frog in the frying pan idea of how you get pulled along step by step into something that's really catastrophic 
And the question, the challenge as a writer is like, can you portray that in a way that other people can empathize with who haven't been in that situation? Because most of us really haven't. But it happens to people who are sane and who get pulled in at at moments of vulnerability and they get pulled along. And so that's been the challenge of this book is to write that in a way that is understandable. Well, and I do think that your statement that it's sort of a step-by-step process, it's not like you go from zero to totally indoctrinated, but instead it's this kind of slow process and suddenly you look around and there you are. Or unfortunately, something like Jim Jones happens where everybody is poisoned and you're thinking, well, how did I get here? So, you know, yes, it's it's a fascinating look into the human mind. Absolutely. That should hopefully come out next year. But the, the People's Temple was definitely a, uh, an ins- one of the inspirations for that one. Share something your readers wouldn't know about you. Oh, goodness. Let's see. I'm left-handed. I'm O-negative. I was born without wisdom teeth. And I'm weirdly smug about all those things, <laughs> even though I can't take credit for any of them. Let's see. I, I say this in my biography, but I have I have five kids, so I'm one shy of a Brady Bunch because we have a blended family, and that's an adventure every single day. Well, those are all, all that five kids, gosh, and not having wisdom teeth, lucky you. I have three teenagers, and as they've been working through getting those out, I'm thinking, oh, I would have, yeah, that would have been so nice not to have oh, wisdom teeth. I'm so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Well, I have loved interviewing you. And before we wrap up, I would love to hear about what you've read lately that you really like. Okay. Well, in line with what I said, my next book and I was working on, I've been reading The Girls by Emma Klein. It came out a few years ago, but it's, it's so relevant, you know, like I said, to that idea that like inch by inch, you can get drawn into a situation that could be potentially catastrophic, but you're so emotionally involved that it's really hard to pull out. So it seems so normal until you realize you might have taken a wrong turn, like five turns back. But it's also absolutely gorgeous writing. So that's one that I'm reading now. And one that I just finished is actually a nonfiction book. I read a lot of nonfiction, when, especially when I'm writing, uh, actively writing a novel, because I find it good for inspiration and good for not being daunted. Sometimes when I read other writers' work, I get so intimidated. And so it's, and also in awe, but it's really good to read nonfiction, both for inspiration and just uh, sort of a refreshing experience. And so I recently read this book called One Day. It's, it, I think that the subtitle is like the extraordinary story of an ordinary 24 hours. And it's by Jean Weingarten. And it came out late last year and it takes one day. It's December 28th, 1986. And he did like 500 interviews of people who experienced various events on that day. And it just catalogs moment by moment what they were experiencing on that day. And it goes to places that I really didn't expect. And it's a really fascinating, I just never, I fell in love with the idea. And once I read the book, I just tore through it um, last week. And it really captured my imagination in terms of normal people living ordinary lives. And they're just like, what you experience sometimes is a turning point, an end point, a jumping off point, or just one step in a in a chain of events that leads to something really profound. And it just reminded me that sometimes, you know, the life you think you're living in a week or a month or a few years could look completely different. And you just never know when that process starts. So I loved that book because of the places it sort of led my mind. 
Well, that sounds fascinating. That reminds me a little bit. I just read The Only Plane in the Sky. Actually, I listened to it, and it's about 9-11. And it's, I mean, obviously, that is a very significant day. But the idea that he interviewed so many people and pulled together their thoughts and what was happening that day. And it was just fascinating. So that that's interesting. I'm going to have to look up one day because I really, as it unfolded, I'd never kind of thought through where everybody was and, and knew what was happening to them and that the communication wasn't what it was, what it is today, so that they weren't necessarily able to communicate with each other, or find out what was happening. So it was, it was fascinating. So even though they're vastly different, one day sounds like kind of a similar idea of one day and how it's what's happening with people. Yeah, I think I think so. My husband and I were actually talking about that idea just the other day, the idea um, and specifically linked to 9-11 because it's so significant in terms of our memories. Our our youngest kid was, you know, a year old when that happened. So it's so for us as adults, it's very different than for our kids for whom this that's a point in history, but for us it's a point in memory. And to think about, you, so you can really put yourself in that position. You can, of course, remember exactly where you were on that day um, and what you were doing. You know, I remember being in a graduate school lab and what my advisor said to me and all of that stuff. Um, and any day can turn into one of those days. You just don't know. And you also may not even know at the time because it could be a completely different kind of jumping off point. Well, and I think that's a little bit what made me think of that book when you said that, because the chef of the restaurant that, you know, I can't think of what it's called now, but it's with the top of one of the towers, you know, he stopped to get a soda and then he didn't end up in the tower. And so I do think the choices that you make can, can end up altering you. And while that's a very significant and well-known example, I think things like you're saying, you would not necessarily know one day something, you make a different decision or you change your mind on something and that significantly alters your own path. And it's interesting, I think, how the stories we tell ourselves about those moments as well, how we take, you know, as human beings, we like to make meaning out of things. I think we, we have a drive and a need to. And um, we also were so drawn to, to narrative. You know, that's why storytelling is so powerful, because it all sticks with us in terms of this makes sense in terms of the story of a life. Uh, and I think that so those books, even though they, they tell sort of a moment or a day, they take a cross section for a number of people, it all resonates in terms of how we all think of our lives as a story in a way. No, absolutely. Well, I cannot thank you enough for joining me. This has been so much fun and I loved learning more about The Quiet Girl and everything else. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The Quiet Girl can be purchased at Murder by the Book where I work part-time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing and I hope to see you next time. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? 
You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!